last time we talked about what? Okay, so we talked about the Trinity, and we talked about what else? Okay? Theology proper. Yeah, we talked about theology proper and some of the attributes of God. What, what, was, what was one of those things? Yeah, thank you, Jim. We talked about incommunicable and communicable attributes. We talked about incommunicable attributes. Specifically, I focused a little bit on omnipotence. And now here's a hard question. What were the three areas that typically, traditionally, the church has thought about God's omnipotence? There were three areas. What were they? Do things. Okay, do what things? Powerful to do? Creation. Creation. Okay, what else? That was one. Resurrection. Resurrection. That was good. What was the third harder one? Thank you, Philip. That's right. The humble people. I've already forgotten. I didn't need it. I won't repeat that. You know, I, I love those. I love those three things, particularly that last one. I think it really displays the power of God in the hearts of men. I was talking about that uh, in Zechariah at our teaching hour here. We've been talking about who creates repentance in man and some of those things. So, yeah, that's right. I started with a question about experience, and that was really cool. I wish we would have captured that on in the audio. But you all, most of you shared experiences that demonstrate God's work in your life. That was really an encouraging thing to me. And then we talked about omnis and communicable attributes and then the Trinity. Tonight, I'd like to cover the communicable attributes of God. And Stan, we were ta- Stan and I were talking afterward, and, and he asked me a question and made a statement. I I just want to cover briefly that because I thought it was a good question. He asked me, is the love of God, how do we think about the love of God? Because it says, we love because he first loved us. So so how is that a communicable or an incommunicable attribute? In other words, is that something we can imitate or not? Well, I think it is something we can imitate. I agreed that we only love because God loves us, but we can imitate that in some manner. Right? Does that make sense? When, when we think about incommunicable, we have no, no similar ability. So omnipresence, we have no ability to be everywhere. There's not even anything we can imitate that way. And so that's a good thing. Many times the Bible talks about God's attributes, and it's interesting in some of literature, they, don't even, they make a distinction between these are just analogies. Remember we talked about that? So we don't really understand fully. And yet God speaks to us in sufficient ways about these. So we know what love is, and Jesus reveals those. So when we think about communicable attributes, what do we think of? What are some things? There's eight of you in here right now. Can we each... Holiness, good. That is a great one. Some have said, in fact, Robert, that's the defining attribute of God. I don't know if I'd like to say that, but some have. It's an important one. They're all important. What else? Holiness. Goodness. Mercy. Creativity. That's a good one. Beauty, even, maybe. Well, that's another good one. What else? I said love. Justice. There's an important one. Grace. God is gracious. Quick to forgive. That's kind of a mercy attribute. Okay, so those are some of the things. You could probably sit here all night and we could search the scriptures and come up with what is God like from a communicable or imitatable aspect. I want to read Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Uh, If you'll just turn with me there. 
And I'll read that for the sake of our online audience. I'm going to read from the NLT. I know, maybe surprising. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. In other words, in our place, a pleasing aroma to God. I love that passage because when we think about communicable or imitatable attributes, I think once again, we're drawn to something, or maybe I should say someone in Scripture. Do you follow what I'm saying here? When we look at the best example of how to do or to imitate God, where do we look? Christ. Yeah, that's right, Jen. Christ. Felicity said something the other day I really like. She said, if we're ever more than three steps away from Jesus, we're in the high weeds. <laughs> right? In the rough. In the rough. Yeah, that's right. We're like Tiger Woods recently in his golf play, if any of you follow him. He's, he's had a crash. So, you know, when we think about that, I think it's really important. And I think Sproul did a really good job here when he grounds it in who, who do we look to for, for, to imitate things? And I think it's Christ. I don't think that. Scripture tells me that. And so we have, actually, one of my favorite passages. John talks about Christ's example for us as a gift. And I think I mentioned that earlier. But he says, my life is a gift to you. In death, in your place, but also the way I have lived. And so what do we see in Jesus? Well, we see a display of what God is. Like he says he is in Exodus. Slow to anger, right? Quick to forgive. Abounding in steadfast love. Right? Think about it. Think about his, even think about this one, that Jesus wept. You know, that's an interesting statement. We know it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's profound, right? We think about imitating Christ. His, I think that's a great thing to think about. When we come to the communicable attributes, it's probably... I would argue it's the right place to start is with the life of Christ. And we look at his life and things he did and they teach us about God. So, honestly though, I would contend, and R.C. Sproul is a virtue ethicist, so I'll break that down for you, but really, communicable attributes are about ethics. What are ethics? Real question. What, what do we think of when we think of ethics? When we say someone is an ethical or moral person, what do we say? What are we saying? Okay, good. Yeah, that, that's a very good way, place to start, sister. It's close to being righteous or righteousness. Okay? What else do we think about when we think about ethics or morals? Honesty, okay? What, what, do all, what does honesty, righteousness have in common with what we're talking about here? Can we connect those things? Yeah. Very good. It's about the display of someone's character, right? And isn't that essentially what Jesus shows us and what these things are to be imitated? It's about our character. And really, that's what we say, that's what we mean when we say virtue. It's about the character of a person. When we think about ethics, our, this is a place, so, so to pause here and talk about a, a modern day uh, application our society, Philip, you remember now, this was a year ago almost. You remember when we had our ethics class here? What is, what is, okay, <laughs> kind of, that's an honest answer, thank you. Jen might know too because I have talked to her. What, what, 
ethical system does our society display? Yeah, that's right. Very good. Huh? Okay, relativity, yes. That's right, but we're, we're looking for a specific name of a system that focuses on one aspect of ethics. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you the three. Utility, deontology, or virtue? Well, we already ruled out virtue, right? So if it's pleasure, what is it? Yeah, good job. Utility. Utility. That's a pleasure. In other words, we focus, see, there are three aspects. The person doing the action, the action done, and the consequence. Our society focuses on what? The consequence. They say, if I can have the best consequence, who cares what I did? Or who cares what kind of person I am as long as I get what I want? Pleasure. As long as I have maximum amount of pleasure, I'm okay. But see, that's why this is so important for us. I think that's why it comes down to ethics and the character of Jesus Christ. Because for him, it wasn't about consequences. How do we know that? Well, how did he end on this earth? Rejected? Dead? Well, rose again, but died. He had 12 followers, maybe a few more, but 12 close followers. In other words, from all perspective, worldly speaking, he was a failure, right? Now, Christians tend toward a deontological aspect of ethics in the community. Well, actually, in other words, we set rules. We like to follow them because we feel like that's what is right. We feel like we have to set rules for us to be just. We feel like we have to set rules for us to be, my sister started with, righteous. But again, that's not how Christ did it. Now, rules, the law shows us what? What does the law actually show us? Yeah, that we're sinners. That, in fact, we can't keep it. Right? Isn't that amazing? And yet, in the person of Christ, we see virtue. We see a person acting out, the God-man, of who he is. And really, that's what the communicable attributes, I think, are all about. They're about the character of a man. And that's what Christ is changing us, right, from the inside out. We heard at the men's retreat this last week. God cares about changing us from the inside out. That's really what this is about. When we think about that, then, if we take that kind of approach, if we understand it from that way, which I think is probably the best way to do it, then we see that God really isn't under a law. Now, here's another good application. We, we, our Constitution says what? <laughs> that all men are created equal. That we have God-given inalienable rights. As if, now hear me now, as if these rights are some law outside of us, that is supposed to be followed, or even that God has a law to follow. But that's not right. The Bible does not speak in that way at all. In fact, Jen and I are reading through Job, and I've talked to Bob a little bit about this. I think God's presentation to Job, if you can call it a presentation, more like beat down or, or yelling at or whatever you get at the end of Job, is really a confrontation of this kind of thing. It's that kind of thing at the end, this law-based system. And so I, I would love, I've, I had a couple of teachers do this, and, and Sproul does a pretty good job. I went outside and read some of his other material because I wanted to make sure that I was representing him correctly. And I think he, this is what he believes as well. He wrote some good articles that I've bookmarked on. Is God under law or above the law, or how do we think about God in, in regard to these things? Because really, 
It's about righteousness. What was the word you used, Philip, when you said that? I can't remember, but I think it was about action, or someone said about action, how we carry out these things in the world. And that's what this is about. Every single one of these is the display of God's character, and we see that primarily in Christ. And so it's really about virtue ethics. I would call this, so biblically, righteousness. How does one... See, this was the problem, and this is the problem with our society as well. We try to become righteous before God in our own ways. And that is not the way it's done. Romans tells us that righteousness is imparted. And this was, the philosophers who developed these systems, that was their problem. One of them got real close in this virtue ethics system, but he, he couldn't figure out. It's funny to read his writing. He's like, you know, someone you'd have to learn from someone or you'd have to find out how to become righteous, but you're not, so how do you know? That was his problem. That was his dilemma. But we know that God imparts righteousness to us. It's an imputed righteousness from Christ. And so you can never, from the outside in, change. And so we think about these. That's just another, maybe a little different way of thinking about them, but probably the best approach to think about these attributes of God. Because when we think about incommunicable, they're really about the God's character, but then he acts out of that character in ways that we can imitate and are commanded to imitate. Does that make sense? Any comments, questions there before I move on? Yeah, that's right. To the degree we reflect his character, we glorify him. And that's what everything is about. (laughs) That is wrong. Following the law does not equal obedience. Faith is the obedience that God requires. Because we can't do it. Yeah, and so I think this section, maybe rightly approached, has a lot to say to our culture. You know, you go into a workplace today, any workplace, and ethics are really about how do I not break the law and get away with whatever I can, right? You see that in the workplace. I dealt with that before. And so, approach from this, I think a Christian perspective in the workplace, and get this, it's theology. Whether you want to call it biblical or systematic, this makes a difference in how we view them. And really, it's about Jesus here. Okay, we're going to move on then. Those are those are good comments and I think an important thing to think through. So I have some paper here. We're going to do some group work. I think we can split into four and four or three and four. And I would like you to take some time to do this individually and then do it as a group. I'm going to give you about 10 minutes, five yourself and five as a group. And I'm going to ask you this question. How should we describe or portray God in our disciple making? And I want to clarify that just for your help. I believe, now we can disagree about this, but disciple-making, I think, begins before conversion. Now, you can say a disciple is one who trusts in Christ, but the process of that has to start before conversion. So I mean both before, whether you want to agree with me on the word disciple or not, that's fine. I mean from the very first contact with someone wanting to make them more like Christ by the power of the Spirit. How, how do we portray, how should we, both in our descriptions and in our actions, God? And I want you to list specifically these four things, and they're on this sheet. I want you to talk about an attribute or several. We don't, you don't just have to say the Whatever you feel God is leading you to think through with your group. Then I want you to give biblical passages, examples, Then I want you to give real examples or situations that might have or could happen. And then finally, I want you to give us 
some principles for all of us that you think would be good. That make sense? Okay, if no one says no, I'm going to let you go. Okay, so like 15 seconds. Four, three, two, one. Okay, what I want to do is let you have done one through three in your groups, and now I want to take those principles and just share them together. We have a small enough group here where maybe we can wrestle with some of these things because this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? In our one anothering, in our interaction with others. Many Christians have gone away <laughs> and hidden themselves because of the difficulty of these things. So have at it. What do we think? Bob, you're going to say something, so I'm going to ask you to say something. <laughs> Whenever. Now would be good. <laughs> yeah. That's about kind of the end goal. So the principle is, you know, what do you set out to do? Do you set out to do, to make, you know, converts, kind of? Or do you set out to do that? Or do you set, is, is what you do a, may I say it this way, Bob, expression of your character in worship? It's a really important thing. What else? What are, what are some other principles? That's a good principle. Faith. Faith in, in how to carry these things out. What about you, Mr. Johnson? Or maybe some principles that you think we can... It's okay. <laughs> there is no right way to do it. Urgency. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. There's an urgency about it. Yeah, I like that. It's good. How about you, Paul? I see that hand. Yeah, I like that. Let the Holy Spirit work on them through the Word of God. There's a great way to approach discipleship. In fact, it's probably the only biblical way to do it. I would definitely agree, Paul. What else? We've got three other people in here that haven't said anything. There's a no. I'm not going to say anything over there. So we've got two from here then. Any thoughts, Robert, Joy? Okay. <laughs> would you rather Robert share it than you? or? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, servant's heart. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, amen. <laughs> that's group work there teamwork yeah a servant's heart that just plays God's mercy you know what I like what you said there we're going to do that if we have time talk about the greatest commandment because that really Mark 10:45, right Joy it says you guys know this right for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve so I think that's a really good reflection <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah, you can. One more. Hmm. It's a great one. Prayer. Okay, any last thoughts before I go on? Okay. Good. I think this is an important part of learning. That's why I've done it these six weeks is to really get you thinking yourself. Because I can give you all the things that you need to know about justice and love or I could attempt to. But I'm really also trying to work out one of our biblical ecclesiological beliefs <laughs> That we're all priests, and so we have something to contribute. Now we go to probably, I, I think culturally, probably the biggest question that I get, <laughs> that we all get. Like these young adult conferences I went to and spoke at, like this was the hot button topic. They wouldn't care if I talked about anything during the, the teaching session. <laughs> it was... Well, I'm at home. What should I do? That's the question, right? What should I do? That's, that's where it always comes down to when we think about 
um, the Christian life. And so um, I'm going to present what Sproul says, and we'll get as far as we can. I love this verse. It's easy to remember as well. <laughs> 29, 29, right? Deuteronomy 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. That's really interesting. It talks about that action. And if we, if we have a solid basis in how, what produces this in us, right? It's not that we aim to do. I really like what Bob said. It's kind of like in football, right? They tell you that the best way to not get hurt is to play the game like it's meant to be played. You don't go out there trying to avoid hitting people. That's actually more likely to get you injured than it is to play the game it's the way it's meant to be. And so when we, when we do that, when we do it from a character, God has revealed some things to us, has he not? In fact, what, what doctrine really ties into this thing about the revelation of God for doing? It's a big one. In other words, do we know what we have to do in life? I'm probably not dropping enough breadcrumbs here. How about sufficiency? I think this again plays in here. Because when we think about what are the things I am to do in life, I think God has given us sufficient direction and sufficient power by the Spirit to do those things. So I think this is a foundational verse. And remember, remember, this was for the Israelites going where? Where were they going? To promised land. What was in the promised land? A bunch of friendly people? What was there? Giants. The giants. Yeah. Yeah, it was a godless, brutal, violent, hostile people. And don't we face that same... Really, and I, I don't mean just, you know, like giants is right, but it was more than just giants. It was a faithless people who hated God, sacrificed children, so I think there's some similarities there for us. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but there are four names and two ways of talking about the will of God. Okay? If we understand that, as it said here, the secret things belong to God, okay? and they're revealed, so there's a difference there, right? We see biblically, that's why we start here as well, there are something in the counsel of God that's separated in his will. And so this is one way of doing it, hidden or decretive. You've probably heard that, the decreed will of God. Those things which are hidden and the revealed or preceptive, in other words, to do will of God. Now, there are some pretty clear things in Scripture. This one was at the men's retreat. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Psalm 37.4, delight, that's not an option <laughs> right here. This is one of Piper's great things. He he brings to our attention the necessity necessity in the Christian life of being satisfied in the Lord. And that's a command with a promise. And so you can think of here many of the things that God has revealed to us in Scripture about life and godliness. In fact, again, it's a sufficiency issue here. However, I would like to focus on one thing to make this crystal clear for us. What is the greatest commandment? And how does that follow? And there's a second like it. What? Love your neighbors yourself. So, would this fit? In other words, are we 
Are we looking somewhere under a rock for like what God wants us to do in life? No. It is clearly revealed for us what we are to be doing. Now, that is, a, that is like a principle. What is the greatest task then for the people of God for all time? Now, this is some heavy biblical theology here. I understand that. I understand that great minds disagree, but I think it's going to become, in my mind, very clear why I'm bringing this up under the will of God. I'm not going to beat you down if you disagree. I'm going to try to lead it. Okay. Make disciples. What does that entail? I think you're on the right. Where would we find that, first of all? The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Okay? I think you're tracking, Philip. But if we were to narrow down, what does that mean? What is at the core of making disciples? Okay? To love them? Okay. We're getting very close now to make them like Christ. Maybe... In a humanly speaking, we show them God and let God do the work. But yes, to conform them to Christ. I'm thinking big picture here, though. Bob, what do you think? Speak. Continue. Okay. Continue. Okay. Building the church. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So that, that's, that's exactly where I'm going. Okay. So it's not just... The, the Great Commission, because if we didn't have Matthew 28, right, that, in the Old Testament, we didn't have that. The people of God have never had that specific revelation. I think it is the Word of God revealed. I think it's to show people what God is like, to worship Him, and to reveal Him to the nations. Why? Well, the greatest person to ever live, Jesus Christ, did that fully. So what I'm trying to say here is, to kind of build on what Philip and Bob have said is, look, the Great Commission is simply Jesus repeating what God has said before about our task. And why is this important for us? Why are these two questions important? Because that's where your life should center on. It should center on Christ, worshiping Him and fulfilling that. And I submit to you one of the things that I have been really convicted about that changed my life a while ago that if we, I've said this in my missiology class, it's like that joke I told about the woman calling her husband driving the wrong way, right? Like one mistake can be brutal. If we don't found our life, if we don't make the purpose of our life about what the scriptures say, then we are going to miss what God wants in our lives. Are we not? And so the revealed will of God is clear for us. It's the great commandment, but even more, it's all the word of God. To beginning from Genesis 3, to trust what God has said and then let other people... What does Paul say? We're ambassadors, right? What was the point of Israel? To make God's name great among the nations. What is our purpose? What does a priest do, right? That's part of their function, so we're a kingdom of priests. And it's all over Scripture. It's the uni- I believe it's the unifying theme, this idea. I could, I'll talk with you if you want to talk about that more. But I think, and this is where we go so wrong, I think, is that um, when we think about the will of God, we make it a nebulous concept consisting of actions to do for Christ. Now, those are not necessarily in themselves wrong if they have the right center. But when we talk about the will of God revealed. It is clear what we are to do. 
Some people have said you can find the dot. I don't want to get into that today. I mean, I don't want to get into telling you, okay, you know, there are these steps, right? We know I have some stuff here if you want to see it about different people being called by the Spirit or being called by other people to do what God wants for them. But I'll tell you right now, everyone in this room, whether you work as a IT, a mother, uh, writing articles, wherever you work, okay, and whatever your station in life, however old you are, if you know Christ, you have one overarching theme for your life revealed in the scripture and given to you to accomplish probably clearly summed up in the great commission as philip said but it's more than just that that is a that is a pinpoint clear crystal clear thing but it's about scripture and when i think we see this then we see scripture even more clearly for our lives things start to make sense like, in other words, what I'm trying to say, a good example for your class, Jim, when we want another, what is the point of that? It's to reveal the character of God so that people will come to know him. When we love our neighbor, it's to reveal the character of God so that people will come to know him. <laughs> when we have a job, in that job, it's to provide for our food so that we can live and show people what God is like by our life. We have a clear task now, I think. And whether you are in a professional world or in ministry, I don't think it changes. I think that's a, one of the greatest things that we miss. Jim. That's right. Amen. John Piper said that the sufferings display for us what is of greatest value. If we value God, they display that we, can, we value him above everything else. Yeah, Job, that's a great, that's a great comment, Jim. So I think... I want to leave you with four challenges for application. I would say that we need to know the revealed will of God. And to do that, you've got to immerse yourself in Scripture. There's no other way around it. You know, you can, you can go to Joel Osteen, right? And you can ask him to teach you. But you can, you can even go to me or Bob and ask us to tell you about God on the other end of things. And I might teach you just as bad things as Joel or whoever, you know? Like, I don't know. I'll tell you one place I know where God's will is revealed and sufficient is Scripture. Psalm 1-2 is a great reference. Does anyone have their Bible open to read these things? I'd like to read. I have four short passages of Scripture that I can, I'd like to leave us with after this six weeks. Psalm 1-2. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. I think... If you look at that context of that psalm, he's talking about knowing the revealed will of God. Ask for wisdom. I have on my knees before the Lord many times asked for wisdom because I know I lack it. And this is, you know what? (laughs) Scripture says a lot about wisdom. A lot about it. Jesus was the wisest man, right? Wisdom is knowledge in action, I believe. And so James 1.5, what does James 1.5 say? Ask for wisdom, brothers and sisters, for life. Examine culture to be relevant on these things. Develop relationships with unbelievers. How are we to make the glories of our awesome God known? Unless we know others to tell them about. <laughs> right? 1 Corinthians nine nineteen to 22 uh, That verse is very convicting. To the weak I become weak. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. I mean, I don't think they're, like, basically, I think Paul is 
repeating things to say there's no one and no circumstance that I don't try to speak into. Culturally, and we know that's what's going on in Corinth at that time. Finally, I would say depend on the Spirit. And this is a humility thing. We've talked about that quite a bit, but I will read this. James 4, 6 through 10. says this, And he gives grace generously, as the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. I think when we think about theology, these are some really good things to take away, especially from the attributes section of God.